Uh, over the last 18 months, I've had the immense joy of watching the Lord utterly transform the life of a friend of mine, a new friend over the last 18 months, really, um, utterly transform her life. This is a person who, prior to this transformation, had climbed the heights of the corporate ladder, and I mean the highest heights. She was a direct report to one of the richest men in the world whose name every single person in here would know. She had enjoyed nearly every pleasure under the sun, traveled the world over numerous times. Um, she had, in a manner of speaking, gained the whole world. And if she had been so keen as to have an Instagram handle over the last 10 years, she could have convinced many thousands of aspiring young women that she had made it, that she was living life to the full. She was living what most women could only dream of. But the reality is, is that she was broken, she was wounded, she was hurting, she was lost, she was unfulfilled. And the Lord brought her uh, into my family's life, um, and he was pleased to allow us to be instruments in his hands, speaking truth, offering, offering good news, and she was ready. She was ready to believe in Jesus. And the transformation has been remarkable. I mean, just remarkable um, in her life. Her desires changing, her, her sense of um, who she is and what she's here for, her, her relationships with family and friends, like everything is changing. Idols are getting cast down. Um, it's 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 beautiful. It's glorious to behold. And I don't think that I'm the only person that's in this room that's witnessed that sort of transformation um, in other people's lives. I think many of us have had the privilege, the joy of watching that, uh, whether it was in a, in, in a family member or, or maybe a friend, a coworker, maybe a neighbor. Um, and, and if we haven't had that pleasure of, of, of watching it firsthand and being in relationship with someone that's experiencing that transformation, then Certainly, uh, you've heard testimonies, trustworthy testimonies from others about that type of transformation. Uh, maybe you've read amazing books, biographies, or seen films, documentaries. You've heard the stories. You know that God can transform lives. Um, you know that he can create amazing testimonies out of those whose, whose years had been eaten by the locust, if you will. If we had to characterize um, that transformation, like what is it? If we had to put a name on, on what it is that my friend has experienced, uh, I, would, I would take my cue from the Gospel of John. God has a, has, a, has a word for this. And in John's Gospel, that word is eternal life. Eternal life which, as Jesus says in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your Son that the Son may, be glorif- uh, may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, as I shared with the children a moment ago, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing God. And you cannot know God apart from knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Uh, in our gospel reading today, uh, John 3, 23 to th- 22 to 36, to be honest, there's two messages in this. I'm only preaching one. The first message was for me this week, and it, and it kind of arose out of the whole, you know, John Baptist saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. The Lord had something in there for me, but it's not for you this morning. Maybe it is, but it's not going to come through me. What, what, what I believe that the Lord has given for me to share this morning comes from the second half of today's reading, beginning in verse 31 and really spinning out of verse 35 and 36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. There's a couple of questions that that I think would be helpful to have in mind, not only in reading this passage, but reading through the whole Gospel of John. The two questions are, what does God want for me? And the second question is, what does God want from me? What does God want for me? What does God want from me? I think that by default, most of us probably think in terms of that second question. What does God want from me? Here I am. I'll do it, Lord. Just tell me what you want from me. I will obey. That's, that, that's how we operate. I think it's, it's just natural for us. For whatever reason, we want to know what does the Lord want from me? What can I do for him? And that's a good question. It's a, it's, it's a right question. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is our king. We should be inquiring, what do you want from me, my Lord. But it's as important, and I would actually say it's more important, to have settled in our minds what it is that God wants for me. Because unless you have that question settled, you're going to live your life striving to fulfill what God wants from you, and your failure and your stumbling, your imperfections, and your falling shorts are going to leave you exhausted, discouraged, disillusioned, skeptical, cynical. So what does God want for me? I just want to wash us for a moment in the word because John is all about this question. 
What does God want for us? He's all about this question in his gospel. So I'm going to read um, several passages, and you'll hear it if you have ears to hear. You'll hear both what he wants for you and what he wants from you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. You have given your son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does God want for me? What does God want for you? And what does he want from you? John is a broken record. We're thick-headed He's ramming the reality into our heads again and again and again. And he's even forthright about it. He tells us his MO. These things are written so that what God wants from you, you may believe in Jesus Christ. So that what God wants for you, that by believing you may have eternal life. That is what God wants for you, friends. He wants you to have eternal life, which is to say, he wants you to know him, to know him through Jesus Christ, his son. That settles it. That's the, quite, like, that's the most important question. What does God want for me? In the course of my life, in the ups and the downs, 
and all the sideways energy, all the things that I didn't expect, all my aspirations, all the plans that go unfulfilled. What is it that you want for me, God? In all of it, he wants you to know him. How? How can you know him? There is only one way. By believing in Jesus Christ. Believing and obeying. John, the evangelist, not John the Baptist, John the Gospel writer says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Interesting parallel there, right? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son, believe and obey. They're parallel. Why does he say that? Because they don't have to be parallel. They don't have to be getting at the same truth, but in John's mind they are, and it's because of what he said just before. He who comes from above is above all. He's speaking of Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, and he speaks in an earthly way. That's referring to John the Baptist. So Jesus' ministry is greater. Jesus himself is greater than John the Baptist. John, John admits, I must decrease, but he must increase. He bears witness to what he has seen. Oh, sorry, he who comes from heaven is above all. Once again, establishing Jesus' supremacy. And he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. That's another theme in John. The darkness doesn't want the light. Now, whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, gives his signature, signs off on this fact that God is true. So if you accept the testimony of Jesus, if you accept the words of Jesus, if you accept his account then you are signing off that God is true. Why? For he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Who gives the Spirit without measure? The Father gives the Spirit without measure to his Son. That is why when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the words of God. And so if you acknowledge and accept Jesus' words, you are acknowledging and accepting them as coming from God. You are setting your seal that God is true when you accept Jesus' accounts. The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hands. You cannot know the Father apart from the Son. This is why Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, through believing and obeying me. To believe Jesus, to actually believe Jesus is to obey him because he's speaking as the one who is sent from God. You can't believe that he is who he says he is and then disobey. You're not actually believing. True belief is accompanied by true repentance. 
and a repentance that works itself out in obedience to the Lord. That is at the essence of eternal life. Knowing God through Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Believing Jesus' words. Accepting them. Living by them. Friends, it really is not It's not complex. It's it's not simplistic, but it is simple. I think that I certainly would love for there to be a book that was written on the spiritual life, and if you would just do these things, follow these routines, create these habits, then you would experience this dynamic relationship with God. But that book has already been written. It's already been provided for us. If you want a dynamic relationship with God, you have to get it through Jesus. And the only way to get it through Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, if you believe me, you will obey me. You will obey me. I didn't say that it was easy, but it is simple. We can, and I I can testify to this personally, we can busy ourselves with all sorts of spiritual activity, ministry activity. We can adorn our lives with really good things. We can, serve, we can serve the Lord, serve in the church, but not really actually know him. I think what Jesus says in John 15 is he's communicating the same truths that John's been giving us through Jesus through the whole gospel, but he, he, he turns to this metaphor of abiding of, the, uh, of the, 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 the branch and the vine. And Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. We don't have any life in us, and we can't bear any fruit unless we abide in him. Now, uh, I've been fascinated with that passage for a couple of decades. Um, it was even like the thematic passage for uh, my wedding day. Abiding in Christ. We gave everybody a little bracelet that said abide. Um, it's like what does that actually mean how do you abide how do you abide in Christ and what does it mean for him to abide in me I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing Jesus iterates this a few times, then he comes back to it in verse 7 of John chapter 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask of me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is just personal testimony, that's a key that has just unlocked this for me and invited me into a deeper abiding with the Lord. 
he uses the word abide for himself in us and us in himself. But then in verse 7, he changes it. He says, if you abide in me, but then he doesn't say, and I abide in you, ask whatever you wish. He says, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And so I go, okay, great. So I have an idea now of what it means for Jesus to abide in me. His words abide in me. His words abide in me. That is Jesus abiding in me. So how do I abide in him? If his abiding in me is his words abiding in me, what is my abiding in him but my words abiding in him? If his abiding in me is me receiving the words that he gives to me, then my abiding in him is to give my words to him. We call this prayer. I have to confess, but I know I'm in good company, that I don't pray like I ought to. I don't pray as if I believed that I have direct access to the God who creates and sustains all things. I don't pray that way. I don't pray like he's made me a child and given me a place at his table. Paul says to pray without ceasing. I don't do that. But I want to, not because it's, it's, it's the good Christian thing to do, but because I want to know the Lord. I want eternal life. And we cannot, <clears throat> we cannot believe in him and abide in him and not be a people of prayer. You can't. You can deceive yourself. You might convince yourself that you're abiding in him, but if you do not pray, if your words do not abide in him, and his words do not abide in you, then you are deceived. I have been deceived many times in many seasons. Let us not be deceived. David prayed in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He just wanted to sit in the temple. <laughs> that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Now, I've, I've had the ESV for about 10 years. I've always loved Psalm 27, 4. And um, the, the, the end of the verse there when it says, and inquire in his temple, there's, there's a little superscript in my Bible. It's number three, and then I go down to look at the footnote. And it says, or meditate. The translation could be, or meditate in his temple. And I've always preferred that. I've always preferred meditate. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to uh, see his beauty, and I want to meditate. And um, I think I know why I always preferred that. Because to dwell in the house of the Lord, to ponder his beauty, to meditate, that only requires one person. That requires just me. I can do that by myself. 
to inquire, that assumes another person. That assumes that the Lord is there. That, that's a little more dynamic. That's a little scarier. Because what if he doesn't answer my inquiry? What if I don't hear him? Much safer to remain static. I'm just meditating on the Lord. I'm just pondering his beauty. But David, David knew. The Lord wants to be known, and he welcomes your inquiries. But it is true that he often appears to be silent. Am I right? Deafening silence from the Lord. Uh, I've experienced it. I've experienced him speaking, having confidence that he's communicating. But I've experienced the silence. And I know, I know you have as well. What do we do with that? I want to inquire, Lord. I'm willing to inquire in your temple, but I feel like you don't answer me. This is what I would, this is where I would suggest that you begin. The Lord, the Lord has spoken. The Lord sent his son, Jesus, who bore witness to what he had heard and seen from the Father in heaven. And this word, written, is all about Jesus. From the first to the very last page, it's all about Jesus. God has already spoken. Now, what I'm not saying is that, so only go to the Bible because that's where God has spoken. That's not what I'm saying. God is more dynamic than that. Relationship with him is more dynamic than that. But if I was speaking to you clearly, um, and, and uh, let's just pretend that I had some authority in your life, and I was giving you instruction, and your posture toward what I had already clearly communicated was excuses, rationalization, um, ignoring it, brushing it aside, but then you kept coming to me and saying, hey, what do you want me to do? How should I be living? I'm, I'm here for you. How keen should I be to speak to you when you're already ignoring what I have said? This is what God has already said. The author of Hebrews says, in former times, God spoke to his people through prophets. But in these latter days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. We have four gospels and an Old and New Testament that all bear witness to his son. Where he has already spoken clearly. If you want to hear his voice daily in your walk, 
I would suggest that you start by taking this very seriously and not rationalizing it away. Those parts that you're embarrassed about, those things that make you uncomfortable, those things that aren't socially acceptable, what God has commanded, what he has designed, submit to it. Submit to it. Welcome his word. Trust him and obey. And you will hear his voice. Then he will be keen to speak to you. Now, he might speak to you even if you're completely disregarding this. That's his prerogative. He does that. But it is normative that those who have that most dynamic relationship with the Lord, where he's truly speaking to them, and they have this face-to-face type of relationship, those people take his written word seriously. And they humble themselves before it. They submit themselves to it. My friend that I was mentioning earlier, what I didn't mention is that this is truly at the heart of her transformation. Yeah, I've, I've, offered, I've offered counsel. I've offered guidance. Uh, I've prayed. Others have ministered to her. But her life has been utterly transformed because she cannot get enough of God's word. Her appetite for all sorts of other pleasures and inputs has just diminished. And she is reading and consuming God's word. And she does not have a grasp on it, right? She does not have a grasp on God's word, but God's word has a grasp on her. That's the posture of one who has a dynamic relationship with the Lord. Submission to his word. Acceptance of his testimonies. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. When you disregard what has been written, and then you ask God to speak to you, you're saying that he's a liar, because you're not accepting what he has already said. We have to receive his testimony here first. Then, and only then, can we expect a dynamic, transformational life that is characterized by eternal life, knowing God and being known by him. Now, I think that some of you just... I'm trying to read the audience here. Some of you are, are, are feeling kind of excited about this. Like, yes, this, this is good. I, I want to know the Lord. I want a dynamic relationship with him. I want transformation. Amen. I want it as well. There's others here where you used to want that. You had a hope for that type of relationship with the Lord. You had a hope that your life would, would, would reflect what I've described and what you've read about in other biographies and what you've seen in other people's lives. But that hope died some point in the past. That hope died because it was never achieved. It was never obtained. And you've become cynical. You've become skeptical that this is possible. And you don't actually believe 
You may say you do, but you don't believe that what God wants for you is eternal life. Knowing him and being known by him. Now, if that's, if that's you this morning, I have good news. We have gathered here today to worship the God of resurrection. So your hope, your hope for a dynamic relationship with the Lord, it may be slowly dying on a cross, or maybe it was buried in a grave some time ago. But this is the God who raises the dead we are talking about. This is the God who gives us living hope. And he is inviting you once again to believe and obey Jesus so that you might have eternal life. And so with the prophet Hosea, I'd like to end by exhorting you who are cynical, but also this whole congregation. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. Guaranteed, in other words. He will come to us as the showers as the spring rains that water the earth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.